Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who brings us comfort. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so in our Gospel reading today, we find that the old saying is at least partly true. Only two things are certain in life, death and taxes. While there's much more true to life than just death and taxes, this morning we see that taxes are something that we must deal with. This morning Jesus is asked a question about this certainty, and it's from the Pharisees who hated Jesus. And the Gospels make this clear as their hatred for Jesus was founded upon their love for self, And in their love for self, they could not stand Jesus having a following that was greater than theirs. They were jealous of the people who praised Christ and loved Jesus. And they found Jesus' teaching to be repulsive and repugnant. As Jesus preached the gospel, it is the true gospel of peace with God, founded upon the grace of God alone, as Jesus forgave sinners... He did not come to declare a political or social gospel. He did not come to liberate man from earthly rule and establish a throne for himself on earth. He came to have mercy on sinners. And because of this, the Pharisees saw him as the wrong kind of Messiah. They believed that their submission to God's law would bring about God's Messiah, and he would liberate the people from their foreign overlords. They didn't like the Romans. They did not teach a Messiah who forgave sinners, but they taught of an earthly rule that would bring them earthly glory. And they could not stand that Jesus' teaching challenged their own beliefs. They did not want to submit to Jesus as to their God. Their love for self drives them to seek a way to publicly deny and publicly refute Jesus as the Christ. And so they even team up with their political enemies, the Herodians, these people who are aligned with King Herod, whom the Pharisees hated, so that they can refute Jesus. And they begin to scheme and they think up a question that they believe will harm Jesus and his reputation. And they ask, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? First, we have to note how these men come to Jesus. They don't come with an honest question expecting an honest answer. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They call him teacher. They say he's good. They point out how Jesus shows no partiality but simply will speak the truth. However, their praise of Christ is not genuine. They know Jesus is truthful. They know he will give them a straight answer, and they're counting on it. This whole thing is a trap. They want to use Jesus' faithfulness and honesty against him. They do not want to submit to his truth. They want to exploit it. And so they ask their question about paying taxes to Caesar, and this is really a double-edged question, Because if Jesus were to say, yes, you must pay your taxes all times without resolution or reservation, they would be able to stir up the people against him. See, he's a Roman sympathizer. He wants to fleece the people. He doesn't believe in Israel. 
But if he were to say, no, taxes to Caesar are immoral and they're not in the interest of the people of God, then they would have grounds to accuse him of insurrection. They could have Pilate arrest him for sedition. This sort of thing happens often in this fallen world as the enemies of the gospel use every tool at their disposal to stand against the truth and to make the faithful out to be evil. We see this in how often people will attack Christian business owners. As we see this happen over the past few decades, we have Jack Phillips of the Masterpiece Cake Shops or Baronel Stutzman, the Christian flower shop owner. As people would come to their shops disguised as patrons, simply to ask them if they will help to celebrate something that a Christian conscience denies them the opportunity to celebrate. Jack Phillips has been asked to make cakes for homosexual weddings or gender transition reveals and many other things. And when these Christian shop owners say they cannot, with a good conscience, provide these services, these false patrons attempt to destroy them publicly and legally as they attack their livelihood, their reputation, and their faith. And this is what the kingdoms of this world will continually do, because the prince of this world cannot stand the gospel. Wherever the gospel of Christ is preached, there the enemies of the gospel lose ground. The kingdom of the devil is thrown into a full retreat at the proclamation of Christ's death and resurrection for sinners. The devil flees when Christians faithfully receive the forgiveness of sins. And so, what does the devil do? Does he continue his fleeing? He attacks. And they will behave much like the Pharisees in their text. They will band together with all their unlikely allies, and they will suddenly attempt to tear down the kingdom of Christ. And they'll do this either by luring Christians into sin or trying to destroy Christians' reputations and livelihood, also that they can destroy the credibility of the gospel itself. They want the gospel to be intolerable in the eyes of the world, and so they seek to demonize the Christian. And that's why it's so important that you, as individual Christians, know your faith. We must be equipped by God's word to refute the devil and his schemes. As St. Paul teaches in Ephesians, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children." tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The Christian is equipped to stand firm against this sort of scheme when they actually know what God's word says. This is why God has given pastors to the church. And so that we may be equipped to speak the truth in love when our faith is challenged. And when we mature in our understanding of the word, we are equipped to see through 
the wicked schemes of the evil one. And so then it is imperative that we as Christians are never complacent as we dwell in this world. We must grow in the word. St. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war with the evil one and his allies. And the prince of this world is crafty. He will not stop at any point to bring harm to the preaching of the gospel that forgives sinners. So we must be prepared to stand and to speak when the devil rears his ugly head. And that means that our consciences must be informed by God's word and not by the consensus of the people around us. And so we see Jesus, being the word of God made flesh, does not buckle under the pressure of the Pharisees. He preaches the truth in love and with great wisdom. He sees through their trick question as they ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he answers their question by putting Caesar in his proper place. He asks them if they have a denarius, the, the common Roman coin. You actually have a picture of one on the cover of your bulletin. The empire they had smelting operations throughout the world for minting fresh coins. And this all happened under the authority of the emperor. And whoever was the current emperor would have his image stamped onto that coin. And during this time, the emperor was named Tiberius Caesar Augustus. He was the third emperor. There was Julius Caesar. There was Caesar Augustus. And then there's Tiberius Caesar Augustus. And do you want to know... What the words around this image of the emperor say, it says, Tiberius Caesar Divi Augusti Philus Augustus, or Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And so here we have two competing sons of God. You see, the Roman emperor had to get creative and ensuring that his laws and decrees were not immediately repealed after his death. And so the emperors all decided that the best way to do that was to say that when they died, they became gods. And so the Roman Senate would vote and say that the dead emperor had been promoted, and they would build altars and temples in honor of that dead emperor. They would worship and kneel before the divine Augustus, and that was every Roman's obligation, to worship the emperor. That also meant that whoever was reigning as the emperor was the son of a god and was honored for his divine pedigree. And so Jesus has them produce this coin, and he reveals their hypocrisy. Because here, that... In that room, in that place, in that temple courtyard, the true Son of God was in the temple of the living God standing before them. And they were concerned about the fake Son of a God who lived in Rome. They had a graven image of a false God in the temple of the true God of Israel. And when the true and living God came to them as their Savior, their Lord, and their Messiah, 
They wanted to refute him with petty questions about paying taxes to Caesar. Here Jesus has them pull out this denarius and he reveals how hypocritical they truly are because they didn't recognize the real God even as he stood before him, but they carried their little tokens of their false God. We must remember what Jesus has done up to this point. What the Pharisees should have acknowledged. Jesus had healed the terminally ill. Jesus had risen the dead. He had cast out demons. He had fulfilled the scriptures. He had come into his holy city hearing cries of Hosanna. They should have been on their knees before their Lord and their Christ, but they refused. Yet they were on their knees before Caesar. They bowed to his rule and they were willing to use it to hinder Christ in whatever way they could. We see that's what they eventually do, by the way. As they pander Caesar's governor and representative, Pontius Pilate, until Pontius Pilate has no choice but to crucify Jesus. They want the emperor's power, but they deny the power of the living Christ. It's not just their position of a Roman coin. It was the fallen condition of their hearts. They were hardened to their Lord and their God. They did not look to the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, or the mercy of God's Son as their salvation. They looked to themselves. They looked at their own self-righteousness, and they believed that that self-righteousness would earn them a place in the kingdom of God that was founded upon their works. It was not, in their eyes, built upon grace, but upon their devotion, their nationalism, their power, and their pride. And this is because they believed that God's kingdom was going to be an earthly kingdom, ruled by earthly powers, and they wanted their Messiah to be an earthly Lord who brought glory to Israel and the people. And they did not see it as a heavenly kingdom by, ruled by Jesus in grace. And so what does Jesus do? He corrects them. He wants to show them what sort of kingdom God has established in Christ. And he says, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's. Here Jesus is teaching them what sort of kingdom Christ has come to institute. He has not come to topple the worldly rule of earthly governments. Rather, these powers have been established by him to serve his purposes. That's what Jesus tells Pontius Pilate as he's being put to trial. As Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. You say that I'm a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, this earthly ruler, that he gave him the authority to govern. And Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, this earthly ruler, that his kingdom is of heaven, and it is of the truth. Jesus makes this distinction between the earthly human authorities that are able to rule over others and his kingdom that is established in heaven and earth. Earthly rulers are given for the good order of society. 
They're given to exercise worldly power for worldly aims, and they would have no power at all if it were not given to them from above. They are given their authority by God. And our earthly rulers have the responsibility to submit in their authority before the God who has created them. It says in Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. And so we see here that earthly governments are not universally evil. They are not to be denied and rebelled against at all costs. But we are called as Christians to be submissive to their authority over us, and that means obeying the law, paying our taxes to Caesar. We render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. They are placed over us under God's authority, and submission to the government is submission to God to an extent. That authority has limits. Earthly government is given by God, and that means earthly governments must submit to God's headship. And when they do not, then they are not to be obeyed. It is better to obey God rather than to obey men. Jesus says that his kingdom is the kingdom of truth. It is the kingdom that trusts that Jesus is king over all and that he rules over us in grace by the power of his holy word. We are to submit to Christ over all things as he is our God and he is our Lord. And so when our earthly rulers challenge the heavenly reign of Christ, they must be denied. And so we can see this, for example, and how maybe many churches reacted to the COVID lockdowns. At first, it seemed quite good that the government-mandated lockdowns were given out of love for the safety of the people. But over months, we quickly see the truth. As the lockdowns were unfairly targeted at churches that wanted to safely gather for worship, and we saw it as an attack on the public preaching of the word, whether illicit or not, and the rightful need for Christians to gather in fellowship around the altar of Christ. And eventually it became clear that these lockdowns needed to be disregarded to at least a certain degree so that we could worship our God with a good conscience. And we still maintained respect and reverence towards our ruling authorities, but they were wrong to prevent us from worshiping the Lord in person. So what did we do? We gathered. We received God's gifts. We heard his word. You see, there are certain things we must give to Caesar, but we cannot give to Caesar those things which belong to Christ. We cannot give him our faith. We cannot give him our hope in the life to come. We cannot give him the power to free or to bind our consciences. We cannot give him authority over the word of God. We cannot give him the power to free souls from hell or the authority to raise the dead. We cannot give him body and soul or the authority of the creator of the universe. We, cannot, we can give him our money. We can give him our measured obedience. We can give him our public service. And we should. It is our Christian duty to be good citizens. So pay your taxes, obey the law, show up for jury duty. If you're a male, register for selective service. Pray for those who hold office in our country, state, and our local governments. Show them Christian love and submit to their rule with charity, knowing that the burden of their leadership is terribly heavy at times. But you must never give them what belongs to God. Your faith, your devotion, your complete obedience, your hope in the life to come, your hope for deliverance, your heart and your soul 
These things are God's and God's alone. He is your creator and your redeemer. Your eternal salvation belongs to him. He discerns what's true, what is good, and what is faithful. The government will often try to legislate to us what we ought to believe. They'll often attempt to tell us what is good and what is evil based on their own understanding of things. They will send their preachers, often in their politicians in the media and other areas, to tell us the good news of their social gospels. They will try to solicit your faith and your devotion to their causes and platforms so that you will be zealous defenders of their ultimate authority over you. Do not be fooled, dear Christians, because this authority does not belong to them. To many, America is their God. It is God that must be defended and loved at all costs, and they look to America to define what is true. They look to America for leadership and guidance when it comes to matters of conscience and heart. They look to America to determine what their conscience should believe. They look to America to secure their ultimate freedom. But we must remember, while our country is good, our country is not God. Patriotism is not a substitute for worship. How many went to yesterday's parade waving a flag and saluting it with fervor, but then, in turn, will never darken the door of one of God's churches, nor speak a word of praise to Jesus. Our country can be good and beautiful, and it is often. Our country can be evil and disgusting, and it is often. Our country has made the world in better, a better place in many, many ways. Our country also has exported many evils of promiscuity and idolatry throughout the world. We must love our country and also be critical of it, but never so with God. He can, with a single word, topple countries. He can, with a single word, topple the United States, and he will stand and judge over it on the last day. It is a land that has both sheep and goats, and God will gather what is his and destroy everything that denies him. God alone is worthy of our faith, our devotion, our worship, and eternal hope. He is worthy of our praise and our devoted service. And when the government does something good, we are to praise God for it. When the government does something evil, we are to pray that God intervenes and disrupts every evil scheme. We are more than citizens of this earthly dominion that we call the United States. We are more than just citizens of the state of California. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We belong to a kingdom which has no end. As our epistle lesson said this morning, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship in this kingdom is contingent upon one thing. It is Christ. If Jesus has forgiven your sins, you are a Christian who is a citizen of heaven. Christ is your king. This kingship is received by faith. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so as we have governing authorities that we must obey and honor in this world, we also have a king who stands above all things. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that is founded upon faith that Jesus is God's own son who has died to forgive sinners. The Pharisees, we see, were hypocrites because they refused to accept Jesus as their God and denied the forgiveness of sins. 
All those who embrace this hypocrisy have denied the kingdom. They turn to their own self-righteousness. They turn to their own governing authorities of this world to make them both righteous and to reign over them in truth. And so they put their faith in those things that will perish on the last day. As the Lord tells us in Second Peter, he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. All of it will end in judgment. The United States will not endure until the last day, and it will not endure past the last day. There will be no eternal king and no eternal kingdom. Kingdoms have risen and fallen since the beginning of time. But never so with the kingdom that belongs to Christ. As the angel tells Mary, as she hears that she's going to bear the Savior of the world in her womb, he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You, dear Christians, have been made citizens of this unending kingdom. You have been bound to Jesus through your baptism. You are attached to Christ in the forgiveness of sins. Rejoice that you have been made citizens of the kingdom of God. And as heavenly citizens, render unto Caesar with a good conscience, because you have rendered unto God what is his first. Have faith in the kingdom that will never crumble. Be good citizens. Be patriotic at times. Rejoice in the good things that your country has done in this world and has done for you but never cease to rejoice in Christ. Trust in God. Believe in his Son, for he is your true King. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we praise you for welcoming us into the eternal kingdom of Christ through the forgiveness of sins. We pray that as we dwell in the kingdom of this world, that you would preserve us for this truth. Help us to be good citizens of our country while also having a good conscience before you. And while we tarry here, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, our true and eternal King. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.